Awesome. Well, uh, I'm sure a lot of you saw the video on social media, um, but Anna and I, love you know, we're, we're pregnant, and uh, we're actually like 18 months, but we just found out we are having girl number three. So, uh, Matt, you know what I'm talking about. Like, I was already outnumbered, now I'm really outnumbered. So, just be praying for me, please. No, we're, we're really, really excited. We kind of had a feeling anyway. And it's funny when you're having kids, like, especially in a prophetic church, people are like, I think you're having a boy. And like, half the other people are like, I think you're having a girl. I'm like, well, some of you are right, you know? And you have a 50% chance. So, um, well done, those that you know, guessed right. Uh, and hey, by the way, um, Jake and Dee uh, just had a baby boy. So they're, Anna's been texting with Dee. And man, we have like, we have a lot of pregnant ladies in our church right now. Like we took the mandate, be fruitful and multiply seriously. And uh, we've been doing a good job at that. So um, a lot of pregnant people around here. So be careful. <laughs> there's, there's something in the water. Um, well, hey, I want to I wanna share something uh, tonight. Um, I don't think I'm going to be very long, um, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to share something that really I feel like God brought me back to. I was just praying into and thinking about what it is I was going to share. And uh, I felt like the Lord brought me back to something that, um, honestly, I, I don't believe is just important, but I believe it is, uh, I, I believe that it's vital for our, our spiritual, emotional, I believe even physical well-being. And I want to talk about the whole subject of hope. Everybody say hope. Like, I really, really believe that in the kingdom of God, like, hope is a really, really, really big deal. And, and by the way, I, I believe that we can define hope as, you know, I've heard a lot of people, you know, give different definitions, but I believe one of the best exam, or definitions of the word hope, at least a biblical definition, is to have a joyful, confident, expectation that good is coming. Like if somebody's filled with hope, like they have this, like they might not even be able to put their finger on it, but there's this overall general joyful, confident expectation, like good is coming. And if I could paraphrase it like this, like hope actually prophesies everything's going to be okay. And then, you know, this is a prophetic church. We have a lot of prophetic words. We have prophetic promises. But honestly, like sometimes the best promise we can receive is you're going to be okay. You're going to make it. In fact, it's probably going to be better than you realize. And, and I really believe that hope is, is a really big deal. And uh, this, by the way, I just want to preface this by saying this isn't a political statement at all. But do you remember um, uh, President Obama's 2008 campaign? I mean, I'm Canadian, so like I don't have a dog in this fight anyway. Um, I really do. I, I'm, I live in America now. Um, but in 2008, uh, you, do you, remember, you remember Obama's campaign? It was like the word hope. It's like his picture was everywhere and the word hope. And like whether, whether you agree with him or not, it was actually a smart slogan because he was speaking the language of a generation. And I really believe he was speaking really the language of humanity because whether we like it or not, like every single one of us longs to be filled with this thing called hope. So much so that in, in Romans, the writer of Romans put it this way, in Romans 15, verse 13, he said this. He said, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you might abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Like, 
Hope, I really believe, in many ways, uh, really determines like our outlook on life. And, and hope really, I believe, positions us in many ways to fulfill our destiny. Like hope is a really, really big deal. That we have this overall belief. And it doesn't mean we won't have bad days. It doesn't mean that bad things won't happen. It doesn't mean we don't need help. But it does mean this. When we're filled with hope, it actually positions us to do great things. Bill Johnson puts it this way. He who has the most hope actually has the most influence. Because when we're, when, we're, when we're filled with hope, like, people are drawn to it. Like, and you know when you meet somebody that has hope, because you're like, I don't know what it is about that person, but when I'm around them, like, I'm filled with hope. Like, it's, it's actually contagious. Like, it actually can kind of rub off on us, you know? And, and uh, so I just want to talk about that. I want to talk about um, what it means to be filled with hope. And uh, I want to take really a little bit of a different angle, but I just want to share quickly four things, and I believe we're going to pray for some people tonight. But one of the things about hope is I really believe that true biblical hope is anchored in a belief that God's good. True hope is anchored in not just, I believe, a conviction that our Heavenly Father is extremely good in every way. And, you know, we've, you know, one of our core values in this house, if you've been around a while, you, you know this, like one of our core values is God is good. You know, and we, we believe that Jesus Christ himself is perfect theology. Like, and we tell people all the time, like, if you want to know, if you want to truly know what God the Father is like, you, we, we must look at the person of Jesus. Because in John 14, we don't have to turn there, but in John 14, one of the disciples came to Jesus and he's like, Jesus, like, you know, you've been talking about the father for a while, but like, when are you going to show us the father? Like, when are you going to show us what he's like? Remember that? And Jesus is like, like, I think it was Thomas. He's like, or no, it was Philip. He's like, Philip, have you been with me this long? And you don't understand yet that if you've seen me, like you've seen him. Like, it doesn't get any clearer than the person of Jesus. And if you, look at, if you look at the person of Jesus throughout Scripture, it's like, you know, he healed every person that he came to. You never find Jesus, like, healing five people and then, you know, telling the other person, like, I know I healed them, but I really want you to hang on to your sickness because it's teaching you humility. You know, it's teaching you, uh, you know, it's teaching you perseverance. So this is actually a gift from the Father. No, we, don't, we never see Jesus doing that. He healed every single person that came to him. But sometimes in the church, we actually create theologies that justify our lack of experience. And A.W. A. Tozer, one of, my favorite, one of my favorite authors, he said, what comes into our mind when we think about God is the most important thing about us. Like, that's a big deal. Like, what we think about when we think about him, I believe, creates our entire worldview and creates our entire perspective. And, and it's so, so important that we, that we are convinced convicted of and convinced that he's entirely good all the time. And, and Jesus set the perfect example. You know, in, in Hebrews, it says that the son, Jesus, is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being. Like that tells us right there, if you want to know what the father's like, look at the person of Jesus. The father is entirely good. And see, when we have this conviction that God is good, what it does is it fills us with hope because it actually positions us to even navigate pain. It positions us to navigate 
difficulty. And, you know, it, it positions us to be like, you know what, what I'm going through is really, really hard, and I, don't, and I don't have all the answers, and I don't fully understand why everything that's happening right now has happened. But I do believe this, that in the midst of my pain, in the midst of my difficulty, I still believe that he's good. And even, even though I don't understand this, I mean, how, how many of you have things in your life that you just don't understand? Like, how many of you have had things happen to you or in your family or to people, your loved ones? How many of you have had just circumstances that challenge your belief that God is good? And I believe that it's in those moments that we need to make a decision. Like, am I still gonna believe that he's good? Even when things around me are happening that I don't understand, that are hard, that are difficult, it is pivotal to be a people of hope. We need to be a people that are convinced that he's good, okay? Because I think, I think most of us are clear on that. Most of us, um, most of us believe that. You know, I just, I just want to encourage you, if you don't believe that, like, if you have a theology that, uh, that believes God does things that contradict his goodness, I want to encourage you to, to question, question your theology. We're all on a journey. You know, it's like some people think that everything that happens, you know, is somehow God's will. I don't believe that. You know, I believe that God is in charge. I don't believe that he's in control of every decision that we make. Does that make sense? You know, some people are like, well, you know, that person died of cancer, so it must have been God's will. Well, the Bible says it's not his will that any perish. How many of you think that some are perishing? Well, but wait, it's not God's will. No, it's not his desire that it happens, but bad things still happen because we live in an imperfect world. The good news is the more we grow in our conviction that's, that God is good and that the same spirit that rose Jesus from the dead lives inside of us, the more we can confidently lay hands on the sick, see them healed, destroy the works of the devil and see his goodness and his glory cover the earth. That's why it's so important that we believe he's good. And those that have a conviction that God is good, have this thing called hope growing inside of them. And the writer of Romans said, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you might abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I wasn't even gonna share this, but I just wanna read a scripture from, from Zechariah 9. And I shared this last week uh, just during transition. In Zechariah 9, verse 11 I mean, he's writing to the people of Israel who had, had been in captivity. They recently got set free, but they're still being harassed by their enemies. Their enemies are trying to keep them free from rebuilding the temple. But this is what Zechariah prophesied in Zechariah 9, verse 11. He said, as for you also, because of the blood of your covenant. By the way, Zechariah is like the most messianic prophet in the entire Old Testament. Like there's more scriptures and prophecies about Jesus than anywhere else in the Old Testament, except maybe Isaiah. And, and I believe that what he's saying here is applying to the people of the Old Covenant, but I, but I believe it's a prophetic picture of us in the New Covenant. And he said this, as for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. And I love what Kelly was sharing just during transition, like God is setting all of us free from fear. In his, you know, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Like anything in our life that makes us feel in bondage to fear, like you can, you can know that that's not God because the Bible says that his perfect love casts out fear. So that's why we need a revelation of his goodness, of his love to set us free. But it says this, 
As for you also, because of the blood of the covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the water of this pit. Verse 12, return to the stronghold, you prisoners of hope. Even today I declare that I will restore double to you. Now, what does it mean to be a prisoner of hope? And he said, return to the stronghold. And if you look at the language there, like a stronghold, like in in like war terms, at least what he's talking about is like this fortified area where you are like safe from the enemy and where the enemy can't penetrate. It's like wall of defense, this castle, whatever, this stronghold. And he's saying, return to the stronghold, you prisoner of hope. Well, obviously spiritual warfare today, we're not like literally building strongholds. But how many of you know that we can create strongholds in our mind? both positive and negative strongholds. How many of you know that the more lies that we believe and the more fearful thoughts that we embrace, fear about the future, well, what if that doesn't work out? What if I lose my job? And what if, you know, this happens? And what if that happens? Am I the only one that sometimes, like, your mind can take you on this road that, like, doesn't bear fruit at all? (laughs) And, And what we, like, I believe that our thought patterns on a daily basis create strongholds. And because here's the deal, when we believe lie and when we partner with fear, we're actually creating a stronghold for the enemy. We're actually giving access to the enemy because, listen, the devil is called the father of lies. Like, it's his language, (laughs) you know? And I believe that we can create strongholds by what we think. And if we're partnering with lies, if we're partnering with unbelief, if we're partnering with doubt, like, what we're thinking about on a daily basis is actually fortifying and creating strongholds in our minds. So the question is this, like, what kind of stronghold are we going to build? On, on the flip side is, and the good news is, the more we believe truth, the more we renew our minds with the fact that God is good. I don't know how this is going to work out, but I believe that in God, there's always a solution. I believe that he is an answer. And when we start to feed our minds with truth, we're actually creating strongholds that will actually keep the enemy from penetrating. And he said, return to the stronghold, you prisoner of hope. And I believe that the best stronghold that we can build is this conviction that he's good, that we resist any thought that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ about us knowing his love, about us knowing his goodness, and that we take captive every thought to the obedience of Christ. It's a really big deal. So everybody say, I believe that he's good, and I'm creating a stronghold of hope. So the second thing, that I wanna share is when it comes to hope is this. And this is so elementary, but if nothing else, I'm preaching to myself. I'll just, you know, ever just preach yourself happy. (laughs) I believe that hope believes that he really does cause all things to work together for good. And it's, it's straight out of scripture, Romans 8, 28 says, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. And I don't know about you, but like that scripture has ministered to me so many times, like not just when like bad things have happened to me or around me, but that has ministered to me like when I've made my own mess. Like I've made mistakes where I'm like, that's it. Like my life is over. (laughs) Like this is it. Like as if like I'm that powerful, you know? 
But I've, I've made mistakes or like even sinned or did things, said something I shouldn't have said where I'm like, this is it. Like I just destroyed that relationship or like, my, you know, my, I just like, like, have you ever like just believed the lie? Like I've messed up so bad. I just completely sabotaged my destiny, <laughs> you know? And, and God's up there like, like Chuck, like, like you're that powerful. You know what I mean? Like we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and are called according to his purpose. The good news is I really believe that means our failures, our mistakes, our shortcomings. God will, God will use every single thing. All things work together for our good. Things that are done to us, things that happen to our family, things that you know, might happen in the workplace. He really will cause every single thing to work together for good if we will hang in there not give up and actually believe it. I've shared this before, but um, years ago, I heard this uh, story about an encounter that, um, that uh, this, this prophetic teacher, Graham Cook, had. And he said that in this encounter, he actually went, it's as though he went into like hell itself. And he was, he was watching the enemy send like his cohorts or like demons, evil spirits, whatever you want to call them, out like to attack the people of God. He's like, okay, now I want you to go do this and I want you to attack their finances. And like, they would go out and they would attack somebody's finances and they would come back so frustrated. They'd be like, we tried it and it didn't work. They're actually just getting stronger. And he'd be like, well, and the, and the enemy would be like, well, go, go do this. And they would send them out on another assignment and they would come back so frustrated. And the more they went out, the more frustrated they became and the more angry the enemy got. And he started like throwing things and yelling at them and like tormenting them. And, and he said, the, the longer, he said, first of all, when I went into this encounter, I was so terrified. I could feel the Holy Spirit around me, just embracing me, holding me so tight because I was terrified. He said, it smelled bad. It felt dark. It was gloomy. He said, but the more I saw the enemy's plans actually backfiring, the more peace I felt and the more the Holy Spirit could actually loosen me. And it's like he came out of that encounter and, and the Lord was like, listen, I cause even the enemy's plans to work together for my good. I cause them to backfire and because I'm that good. It's like Bill Johnson says, like, God can win with any hand. <laughs> like even a set of twos. Like he can win with any hand because he's God. Graham Cook went on to, to say, listen, he's like, when the enemy fell, he took a third of the demons. He's like, that means we still outnumber them three to one and we have Jesus. He's like, it's not that, it's not that difficult when you think of the grand scheme of things. And uh, so it's, it's, it's just this belief that God causes all things to work together for our good. And let me just say this. I do not believe that God causes Everything that happens, I think, I think we're clear on that. Sickness, disease, premature death, loss, destruction. Like, I don't believe God causes all of those things. But I also believe that God is such a good steward that he doesn't waste a single thing. It's like, you can learn about the ways of God even just by looking at miracles in the Bible. Like, remember when Jesus miraculously fed the 5,000? He's like, you know, 5,000 people in the field. The disciples are like, they need something to eat. Jesus is like, you give them something to eat. They're like, we don't have enough food. He's like, what do you have? They're like, we have a fish and two pieces of bread. He's like, bring it to me. Jesus gave thanks, gave it to the disciples, and they fed 5,000 people with that little, little amount of food, which would have been an amazing miracle to witness. I want to watch that DVD in heaven. But... But it's interesting that at the end of that, it's it like the Bible like makes a point to say that Jesus told his disciples, go pick up all of the leftovers and make sure that none is wasted. It's like God is such a good steward 
even when it comes to like bread and fish, like how much more does he not waste any of the circumstances that happen in our lives? And I really believe that part of positioning ourselves to finish strong, to run a race well, and to like stay in a posture of hope is like refusing to waste a single thing that happens in our lives. Listen, even our pain and our difficulty, God will use for our good if we'll invite him into our pain. Did he cause the circumstance that caused the pain? Absolutely not. Will he use it? 100%. Every single time. If we would say, God, this hurts, this is painful, and I'm inviting you into my pain, come minister to me. I promise you, he will meet you in that place. And he, I want to encourage you, believe that he won't waste it and you don't waste it and use it as an opportunity to experience his love, to experience his comfort, to experience his freedom. Invite him into that place. And I promise you, you will come out stronger. And not only that, but you will come out with an authority to minister to other people that walk through the same thing. That's why it's so important that we don't waste our pain, we don't waste our trials, we don't waste our difficulty. Rick Joyner used to say all the time, it's so important that you don't waste your trial because the Lord's actually gonna use it to fulfill his purpose and actually use it for your benefit in the long run. Does that make sense? So hope believes that all things work together for our good, and I just want to say this too. We don't talk about this a lot, or at least I don't. But I think it's understand for, important for us to understand that hope doesn't limit God to one particular outcome. And, you know, it's important for us to understand there's actually a subtle difference between faith and hope. Remember in 1 Corinthians 14, it says that like when we finally, you know, talking about spiritual gifts, and once we actually get to heaven, we don't need spiritual gifts anymore. It says, but these three remain, faith, hope, and love, but the greatest is love. There's a subtle difference between faith and hope, though, because faith is like, kind of like, I'm believing God for X, Y, Z, and it's kind of specific. It tends to be specific, like, I'm believing God for a promotion. I'm believing God for healing. I'm believing God, you know, for this particular outcome, whereas hope kind of has this broader expectation of good that says, you know what? I don't know what's going to happen here, but I believe that I can trust God no matter what happens here. And, and hope is this overall, like, it's going to be okay. And, and listen, I love faith. I believe that faith pleases God. I believe there's times where we need to believe God for certain outcomes. But let me just say this. I think faith without hope can get really weird. And sometimes, see, listen, we can get into trouble when we hold God hostage for one particular answered prayer. Like, God, if you don't answer this prayer this way, you're not who you say you are. When the reality is, he might answer that prayer in a way that you didn't expect, and sometimes in a way that you don't like. Some of you know Anna and I's, you know, journey. Like, we were told we couldn't have kids, we had everybody and their dog pray for us. You know, we just got prayer. Anybody that had any type of healing anointing, we're like, lay hands on us. Like, they're like, I never see healing. We're like, we don't care. Pray for us anyway, you know. We want to get pregnant. And uh, so we went on this journey. I mean, keep in mind, we were traveling and seeing miracles. 
You know, I was, I, I had prophesied over people that were told they could never have kids. I said, and I, and, I, and I don't recommend this, this is just what I did. I said, within one year, you're gonna be pregnant. Within a year, almost to the month, they, they got pregnant. And they're like, remember you said, I'm like, are you sure? Are you sure I didn't just pray that? They're like, no, you said. This is like in Canada, years before I even went to Bethel. And we, we saw miracles, we saw breakthrough, we saw healing. And now we're facing our own, you know, trial where we're told we can't get pregnant. We had everybody pray for us. We were believing for a miracle. We were believing we get pregnant naturally. But God, instead, you know, I don't, I don't understand all this. This is just how it happened. This is just how it played out. Instead, we moved to San Antonio, found out the best fertility clinic in the, in the state. It was 15 minutes from our house. Went into a consult with, with, the, with the specialist there. And when, as soon as we walked, it was crazy. It was actually prophetic. God was all over it. We walk into this office and there's nurses walking around the office with t-shirts that say hope written across them. And we could just feel hope. We could just feel peace. And our consult with the doctor wasn't like if you guys get pregnant. It was when you get pregnant. And, 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 you, know, and you know the rest of the story. Like within weeks, we were pregnant with identical twin girls who we have at home. They're three and a half, and we're crazy about them. It's interesting because it says, return to the stronghold, you prisoner of hope, and I will restore double. I believe many times when the enemy puts his hand on the people of God, he's actually taking a risk. Because if we are positioned our hearts anchored in the goodness of God, the Lord will even use the enemy's plans to backfire and wish that he never touched us. And now we're pregnant with number three. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> so, but listen, we, we had to make a decision. We're not going to hold God hostage uh, to answer our prayer in in this particular way, like us get pregnant naturally, not have to go see a, a specialist, whatever. But we're like, you know what? <laughs> whatever it takes, just sign us up. And and it's important that we don't hold God hostage to answering in a in a specific way, because faith is very very specific. Hope is broad. And let me let me just say this: like, hope actually believes that it has options. Like, one, I've, I've watched, especially young people, get in trouble, for example, by saying, God told me that I'm going to marry that person. And I'm going to hang on to that word, that word. <laughs> you know, listen, if God told you you're going to marry um, a certain person, hallelujah, praise the Lord. I'm not talking to you. I'm just talking in general. But I've watched people say, God told me that I'm going to marry that person. So therefore, they close themselves off from every single other option because God said they're going to marry that person. Meanwhile, that person didn't hear the same prophetic word. <laughs> and they maybe went and married somebody else, and now this person is devastated because God said, and they closed themselves off from every other option. And you know when Anne and I started dating, it's like, um, you know, guys can be kind of slow. She kind of she saw this before I did. <laughs> and uh, But you know, one of the things that, you know, attracted me to Anna was her confidence, where she didn't have all her eggs in one basket, and, and she, like, literally, like, had the attitude, like, like, you know, if you don't pursue me, I'm going to be okay, because there's a lot of options out there, and I was like, dang, I was like, I better get on this, because faith, I mean, hope believes it has options. Hope actually 
doesn't put all its eggs in one basket necessarily and say, okay, if this doesn't work out, like, you know, it's, it's over. Hope actually says, I don't know, if this doesn't work out, I'm going to be okay. Because God is like the ultimate GPS. <laughs> like he's really good at recalculating. And listen, even if like we're on a certain path and we feel like we've got off track, the Lord is really, really good at just going recalculating and just getting us back to where we need it. Like sometimes we think we're way too powerful than we actually are. And we need to understand that God is so big that he can use a lot of different avenues and directions and circumstances to get us to where we're supposed to be because he's really good at recalculating. Okay, so everybody say faith, faith has, or hope has options. You know, an example of this is my dad. Like my dad, you know, I was raised in a broken home. My dad left when I was two years old. Grew up having little to no relationship with him. He lived uh, in and out of in and out of the province that I'm from. And um, but when I was in school and ministry in California, um, my dad actually developed a disease. He developed uh, Lou Gehrig's disease. Uh, ALS, and it progressed really, really fast. I mean, he got to the point where he couldn't use his arms. He had to be fed through a tube in his stomach. He, he needed help doing everything. And I would go, when I would go home during three years of school and ministry, when I would go home to Canada for the summer, <clears throat> I would actually be one of my dad's caretakers. Now, let me back up a little bit. When I was in first year school and ministry, my dad came to hear, I was home for Christmas in Canada. My dad came to hear me preach and responded to my altar call and gave his life to Jesus. He came to the front and gave his life to Jesus. It was awesome. It was actually funny because like, it's kind of like I didn't know he did. It's like I like gave the invitation or whatever and my dad like raised his hand and stuff and came up and talked to me and I kind of thought, oh, he's just kind of being nice, you know? And my, like one of my best friends was like, dude, your dad just responded to your altar call. Like you didn't even pray with him. I'm like, all right, I better call him, you know? And I called my dad. I'm like, dad, remember at church when you came up to the front and like hugged me and stuff? Like, were you, did you want to like give your life to Jesus? He's like, yeah. I'm like, okay, we can do that right now, you know? And uh, so he gives his life to the Lord and then and then like the following summer I like married my dad and his girlfriend like I did his wedding and and during my the last three years of my dad's life I was closer to him than I'd ever been there was such a restoration and uh you know I bet and I became his caretaker like and he needed help doing everything so during the summers I'd be home in his house with him during like a, a certain you know time of the day I would look after him I would help him do everything that he you know need to go go to the bathroom everything and uh, the, during the last, um, during the summer before I went back to, uh, to do third year, I knew I wasn't going to see my dad again. And it's absolutely new. I just knew in my spirit, I prayed healing for him. He saw some relief. He'd see relief from pain. But I was like, you know what? I just, this is the last time I'm going to see my dad. So I said, dad, remember that time you came to the front and then I prayed with you on the phone. He said, yeah. I said, do you feel like something changed inside of you? Or do you feel like something happened? He said, yeah, and his tears started to come to his eyes. I said, do you feel like you're ready? He said, no, not 100%. I said, do you want to pray with me right now? I knew I wasn't going to talk to my dad ever again, but I had so much peace. I can honestly say I just felt so much peace. I said, do you want to pray with me right now? He said, yeah. So last conversation with my dad was praying with him, that he have an assurance in his heart, that he's going to a good place, that, he's, that he knows Jesus. And I say goodbye to him. That was August. That October, ironically, I was in Dallas traveling with one of the pastors from Bethel, and my sister called and said, you better get home. Dad's not well at all. Flew home, didn't even make it before he passed away. Uh, did the eulogy at his funeral, really emotional time. However, there was this mixture of like a grief of losing my dad, but such just a thankfulness and a thankfulness that there was such a restoration in our relationship and such a peace 
knowing that he was with Jesus. Now, I could have held God hostage to God. I'm seeing miracles when I travel. I want my dad. You know, I could have been like, okay, God, I'm holding out for my dad being fully healed, all his friends getting saved, and us seeing a revival in Canada. (laughs) Or he goes to be with the Lord. He's freed from his suffering. He's fully healed in the presence of Jesus. And now he's up there spurring me on, and I get to see him when I go, when I go to be with Jesus someday. Because, because faith, I mean hope, has options. And hope says, I don't know how this is going to work out, and it might not work out the way that I'd really want it to work out. But I believe that he's good in the midst of it. And even if I don't understand all of the details and all of the workings, I can trust that he's good and he's causing all things to work together for our good. Faith knows, or hope knows how to embrace mystery when we don't understand and still believe that he's good. You guys doing okay? The last thing that I want to share, and I'll, I'll finish with this, and then we'll pray for some people, is hope is rooted in eternity. Hope's rooted in eternity. And lately, it's like the Lord's doing something in my heart where it's like I said to Anna just recently, I'm like, how often, we're just driving in the car, and I'm like, how often do you actually think about eternity? Like the fact that we're going to spend eternity in a completely different realm, in the kingdom realm, that life on earth is, is honestly just a blip on the screen compared to forever. Like before I even knew the Lord, like this used to just, like, I used to just sit there as a kid and just, like, think about eternity, like, think about forever. I was like, okay, forever? <laughs> like, no end. Like, it goes on. It's not just, like, millions of years. It's forever, eternity. And, you know, and if we believe the Bible, if we're followers of Jesus, and we believe what the Scripture says, it says that we have eternal life. It says that we're going to live forever in the presence of Jesus. And, and I was just driving with Ann. I'm like, how often do you just think about the fact? And, and I'll just be honest. Like, I don't think about it that much. Like, I'm, I mean, I primary, and probably most of the people in this room, my primary focus is on the here and now. And that's not all bad, but I really believe that we would actually be doing ourselves a service if we became a little bit more, like, focused on eternity. That life on earth, like honestly, life on earth is literally a dress rehearsal (laughs) for where we're going to spend forever. And I believe that we can learn a lot from churches in third world nations. I believe that we can learn a ton from especially the church in the Middle East. Some of you have watched the documentary, Sheep Among Wolves. I just... I just like watched it recently. It's a documentary actually put out by the same missions organization that Megan Ulmer from, from our church is serving with in Turkey and in Iran. And it's about the church in Iran. Emery watched this. She's the one that told us about it. And how the church in Iran is the fastest growing church in the world, according to the people that put out this documentary. And it's just, it's growing like wildfire and it's not, organized at all. It's decentralized leadership, and it's primarily led by women, but they're leading people to Jesus like crazy, and people are saying that it's the fastest growing church in, in, in the world, and it's primarily led by women, and I was watching the documentary, and it, you, you know, and we were listening, or I was watching interviews with some of the church leaders, and these women who are leading this church are saying, I already know that if I'm caught, 
I'll be killed, and before that, they'll do horrific things to me, but I've already made my decision that it is worth it. And every time I leave the house, I know this is a possibility, and I'm doing it for the joy set before me. And I'm like, dang, I need to get saved. <laughs> you know? And, and there's something about our hope being anchored in eternity that just does something in us where it's like, okay, men can kill my body, but they can't touch my spirit. It's like Robbie Dobkins is going, some of you know Robbie Dobkins, the evangelist. He's, he's ministering a lot in Pakistan, Afghanistan, the Middle East. Every time he goes overseas to minister, he, <clears throat> he goes out and has dinner with his wife and sometimes his kids if they're in town because he knows it might, it might be the last time that he sees them. But he does it because his hope is anchored in eternity. And I heard him preach, you know, and he, say, and he said, listen, I believe in the prosperity gospel. But you know what the Bible says? That those that are the most prosperous in heaven are those who lose their life on earth for the sake of the gospel. He said, I embrace the prosperity gospel. And I don't know about you, but I think the Lord just wants to just shift the focus of the body of Christ in America, in the Western world, where, yeah, we believe, you know, I preached just a couple weeks ago, like the kingdom is now but not yet. And sometimes we, we whisper the now and we shout the not yet. And I really believe we need to believe that the kingdom of God is here now, but it's also important that we embrace the not yet and understand that our, our hope is anchored in eternity. Like, I'm, go, I'm gonna live forever with Jesus. Like, you can do whatever you want to me. I'm gonna live forever in the presence of Jesus. You know, and... You know, some of you uh, have heard the story of John Wesley. John Wesley, a revivalist, theologian, really founder of the, the whole Methodist movement. You know, the story of his conversion is crazy. John Wesley tells a story about how he was on a ship one day, and he was already a minister. And he was on a ship one day, and, he was, and he's on his way to, to go minister um, to some other country. And uh, the storm broke out in the ocean, and uh, like people were fearful for their lives. And then he noticed this group of people like in the corner of the ship and there's this group of people from this, this group called the Moravians. And uh, the Moravians were this sect from like the modern day Czech Republic who had literally sold themselves out for the gospel. So much so that they would actually sell themselves into slavery to the West Indies in order to preach the gospel there. They'd be like, I'm gonna sell myself into slavery because they need to hear the gospel. How many of you know that's a conviction that their life isn't their own? And John Wesley, an ordained minister, is on this boat, and he sees the Moravians, women and children, just singing hymns to God, filled with joy, singing, and he is absolutely provoked and disturbed and went to the men and said, what is wrong with your women and children? This ship might be going down, and they're worshiping and laughing and filled with joy. And the men looked at John Wesley and said, that's easy. Our women and children aren't afraid to die at all. And he's like, I need to get saved. <laughs> and he actually did. He was an ordained minister. And in that moment, he's like, I don't even know if I know Jesus. And, and, and this, as the story goes, he says, my heart was strangely warmed. And he's like, okay, Lord, I need to know you intimately. I need to know that, I'm, that my, my, my hope is anchored in eternity, that it's rooted in eternity. And, and that's what actually led to what he calls his conversion and, and, and set him on, on the path that he went on, <clears throat> preaching the gospel and planting churches. But there's just, there's something about, I don't know, just this eternal perspective where we just realize our life isn't our own. 
all of my stuff is just stuff. Life on earth is a blip in the screen. Even my circumstances, as hard as they might be, are so temporary because someday I'm going to live forever in the presence of Jesus. And there's something about that conviction and just that, that belief and that, that just, just pondering that and meditating on that that honestly just, it just gives us hope. Like our life isn't our own. We're seated with Christ in heavenly places. This is just a dress rehearsal. And someday we're going to be with him. So let's just all stand where we are. Can I have one of the musicians come up? We're going to pray for a couple people. Um. I feel like I felt it last, last week just as I was transitioning worship and I just felt it tonight. I felt like the Lord really just wanted to um, release fresh hope into people's hearts um, tonight. And, uh, you know, we're all at, in varying, you know, places in our walk and circumstances and stuff like that. But if you're here tonight and you're like, you know what, I just, I feel like my hope is being challenged and I need to be filled afresh with the God of hope. If that's you and you want some people to pray for you for that, listen, this is a safe place. If that's you and you say, you know what, I just need to be filled afresh with the God of hope. If that's you, I just want you to raise your hand nice and high where you are and and people are gonna pray for you, okay? Just keep them up just for a minute. The rest of you, if you could look around and uh, and maybe just put a hand on these ones that have their hand up and we're gonna, you're gonna pray for them. If that's, yeah. If, if, as soon as somebody has their hand on you, you can put your hand down. <clears throat> and I just want you to begin to pray for them that they'd be filled with the God of hope. The joyful, confident expectation that even in the midst of difficulty, God is good and he's causing all things to work together for your good and just as they're praying I'm going to read the scripture from Hosea chapter 2 it says therefore behold I will allure her will bring her into the wilderness and speak comfort to her Father I just release comfort over all these hearts right now in the name of Jesus Verse 15, I will, give her, I will give her her vineyards from there and the valley of Achor as a door of hope. She shall, she, shall, she shall sing there as in the days of her youth, as in the day when she came up from the land of Egypt. That word Achor literally means gloom, depression, hopelessness. And he says, I'm gonna turn that valley into a door of hope. So Father, I just pray that even right now you would turn valleys of Achor into a door of hope. Where hope is being challenged, I just pray that you would override that and just release fresh hope into these hearts right now in the name of Jesus. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and all peace in believing that you might abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So Father, I just pray that you would minister to hearts all over the room right now.
release fresh hope, release comfort. I prophesy strength into your inner man right now in the name of Jesus. I speak strength to your heart, strength to your spirit. Just that confident assurance that it's gonna be okay. You're gonna get through this. He's gonna cause all things to work together for your good. So Father, I just pray that you would bring that assurance, God. Father, let it go from the head to the heart right now. Wow. In Jesus' name, spirit of revelation of your goodness be released all over the room. Release joy, release peace, release comfort, release strength. If you have a word for the people that you're praying for, just go ahead and prophesy life, speak life, declare encouragement, declare hope over them. More, Lord. More, Lord. More of your presence. More of your goodness. More of your love. More of your peace. More of your assurance. Lord, your word says that hope is an anchor for our soul. So I pray that you would release the spirit of hope. Wow. Spirit of encouragement. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Comfort, peace, oil of joy for mourning. I just release the oil of joy all over the room. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Just keep praying for them for a minute. During worship earlier, I heard God say that even though seasonally winter is coming, that people are going to be experiencing spring. And so I just bless all of you to just experience an incredible season shift right now. Yeah. And that there's things that have felt, I think even even dreams, even things that um, you've been going after, things that you've been pressing in for, things you've been dealing with, things are either gonna fall away that are supposed to fall away and then in that place, like things are gonna blossom and dreams are gonna blossom and there's just gonna be like a, an ease that comes to you in this time. And so I bless you with ease. I bless you with peace. I bless you with the hope of things 
blossoming at the right time. Um, Y'all probably remember about 10 days ago, we had this crazy cold front blow in and I was not prepared for it. I didn't know it was coming. And then I woke up in the morning when I went, before I let the dog out in the evening, it was 96 degrees. I went to bed, I woke up, I let the dog out and I walked outside in shorts, t-shirt, bare feet. It was like, ha! And it was 46 degrees, 50 degree shift. I ran back in the house, into the warmth, into the comfort, and she was out there by herself. I was like, nah, you're on your own, and I stayed. And later on, the Lord showed me, and this ties in exactly what Erica was saying, that there is a seismic shift coming in our lives, that there is a seasonal shift, seasonal meaning it is gonna be so vast, so sudden, even though the weathermen had said there would be a change, they were not prepared for how big that was. I was not prepared and I stood outside and I ran back to the comfortable. I ran back to the safe. And if I had been prepared for that season, I would have stepped into it and moved forward. And so the Lord is saying, we are entering into a time of seismic shifting in our lives. You've been hoping, hoping, waiting, Shift is coming, change is coming. So use your time now to ask the Lord, what do I need to do to prepare so that you're not tempted to run back to the safe and comfortable, that you're ready for that new season? Yeah, that's good, amen. Let's do this, let's just all lift our hands to the Lord. Father, I just thank you for your word and I just thank you for the fresh hope that's being released. Father, I pray that every single one of us would leave tonight, God, with a hope upgrade, with just a conviction and an assurance that you're good, that you're causing all things to work together for our good. And Father, I pray that we would leave tonight with an eternal perspective, knowing that our our hope is anchored in eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's just thank the Lord tonight. And... I'm just gonna invite ministry team to come on up. Listen, if you feel the Lord's doing something deep in your heart right now, we don't wanna rush it. Come on up to the front and get prayer from some of our ministry team. Or if you want prayer for anything at all, come on up to the front. We have people ready to pray for you. Um, If you're visiting and you want prophetic ministry, go to the back to see Gabrielle.